Yes, that's right. We're back with our Tough as Nails finale recap. I'm Rob Sesternino, and we are back with our Savage crew one more time to talk about the final two hours of Tough as Nails of season one. And our big winner, it was Murph. And we'll talk about that and much more here today with the whole Savage crew, of course, back with us, the woman that said, I'm calling it Murph Victory coming in. Here's Jessica Lee. Jess, how are you? Um, I feel great, Rob, except I broke my arm earlier today trying to pat myself on the back for being the best at reading the edit. I know. I thought it was going to be Danny so much. I really thought uh, it was Danny. And then he had a big lead. I was like, oh, so easy. Uh, what a come from behind win from Murph. All right. And the man who had the field, uh, it was Mike Bloom. Mike, how are you? Good. Uh, I'm sad that Danny ends up being the Atlanta Falcons, if that's the proper sports <laughs> reference of, of this group. And Jess, do you want me to put a titanium plate in there, though? I feel like those are not particularly sturdy, given uh, Callie's history with her titanium plates. Ooh. Yeah, I don't think I do anything in my day-to-day life that would dislocate a titanium plate quite the same way Callie does. Okay. And of course, the man who was there from the very beginning, the host, creator of Tough as Nails, the great Phil Kogan is back. Phil, how are you? I'm well. I'm, I'm, I'm looking uh, forward to uh, talking to you about our finale. It, it, was, uh, it was sort of emotional last night to see it all come to a conclusion. <laughs> it's, it, I, I, I was looking at it thinking... When did this start and how did it finish? It was like we just started and yeah. It was, I mean, it didn't, uh, didn't help that you came back to the exact location where you started to. So it just felt like going full circle, but very much changing yeah. as you went around the track. Exactly. And, the, and, and the, the whole bookend of the thing and just the way that it all worked out and all the things that you want in a television show for it to be exciting. And uh, yeah, I was, I'm, I'm very pleased with where it's all ended up and, and I think the audience is very happy with who won. And I, I don't know if there's anything more heartfelt than watching somebody who looks tough as nails get so emotional and, and where you're able to see someone pour out the love they have for their kids and for their family in, in, in such a way that you just you want to like you want to be there with the guy like you you really just like you're rooting for the guy right you want him you want it he's he's like a the winner that we i think we wanted phil that last challenge was so grueling and punishing. Oh. i feel like I, i've never seen anything on a television show that you know in all the years of even watching you know uh you know survivor physical competitions or or anything you guys have done on the race uh this looked like that this was the most physically taxing thing i've ever seen it was extremely taxing and uh to see to see danny to see all of them struggling to hit the the spike into yeah. the log where where they literally could not get their aim and they were just like leaning over. But that's where the mental toughness part of it kicked in. And that's the part that we were trying to measure. And that's why we had all of our contestants do the brutal truth test before they came onto the, onto the show is not so much for the number of burpee pushups that they could do in eight, in an eight minute period, but more 
we wanted to see who was going to push themselves the way that those three pushed themselves last night. Like they had nothing, nothing left. There was everything was left. Uh, yeah, I think, I think I saw like a river pouring out of miles at one point, like one I, continuous stream of sweat, mm-hmm. which just shows like how exerting. Because to your point, Rob, I think we've certainly seen physically exhausting tasks. I think on like Survivor, for instance, the, the infamous challenge where like Boston Rob collapses after making all the stairs. But I think in the depiction and you being able to really languish, I think in this final challenge, as opposed to like a seven minute edit, you really get to see just how truly gassed these people get. But the interesting thing is that you know, when you have these two representations of like, I don't want to call them the tortoise and the hare, but in Murph and Danny as like the quick bouncing jackrabbit versus like the very slow, slutty, steady, methodical type of guy, it ended up being much like Aesop that the tortoise won out. And I'll admit, I was surprised, even edit aside, when I looked at that race course, I thought this was Danny's to lose. And it kind of was for like three quarters of this. Yeah. Um, and how amazing that Murph was laxed uh, at one point and Danny and, and Miles surged ahead and it looked like Miles was just going to be two, like it was going to be one beat behind the whole time. Like he wasn't ever going to quite catch up to the two younger people he was up against. And, um, but he just, and then, and, and then the, the, one of my favorite moments was where we let it breathe towards the end and and Murph just kicked into being the Marine that he that, that that he is and was and he just went into like another zone, like another space. And there was nothing that was gonna stop him. Like it, it, it was as if he just was in his own universe there for a while and, and uh you see the look in his eye and he realized that was you know, when Danny was starting to panic about the sword not cutting and he realized that Murph was slowly catching up and he was really panicking. Murph never lost it. Like Murph just was cool, calm, collected. You see why he's good at what he does, uh, working under pressure and under fire. In this case, not live bullets, but competitors who want to beat him. And, um, yeah, a worthy winner, I, I really think. Mm. Well, that speaks to the mental toughness that you've been trying to show, which I think is maybe the hardest thing to depict because it's just such an abstract concept. And I think it's a testament to the success of this season that you've been able to find ways in which they are acting out their mental toughness in a way that's very tangible and very easy to perceive. Yeah, you're so right. Um, It is very difficult. And it's interesting online hearing some people who were still applying a lot of bias towards what we think is the measure of toughness and also what women are capable of and what older people are capable of. It's, it's really interesting. There was one woman who I saw wrote a comment about it's completely unfair to put a woman up against a man where there's upper body strength involved. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and I just thought, where is, where is that coming from? Like, where do you feel like a woman? And, and it was at a point, it was after show nine. And, and I thought, ah, oh, just wait until you see <laughs> Linda, who's 133 pounds. Wow. Chop wood faster than Murph, who ends up winning mm-hmm. and obliterates the competition. And Danny, who you would think, would possibly take that out, or at least Murph, right? You would think that either one of those two 
but Linda, and what's that about? That's about, that's not about strength. It's not, sorry, it's not just about strength. That is about picking, using life skills, but also using technique. And then that mental grid of just like really focusing on doing the job to the best of her ability. And she's, Murph had it easily a hundred pounds on her. So you think about the, the, the force of the axe coming down from Murph compared to Linda. So how is it that somebody who's that much heavier, that much bigger, and who's a man who's technically meant to be stronger in the upper body gets beaten by someone a hundred pounds lighter, who's a woman who's technically not meant to have a strong upper body, he gets his ass whipped by her. And, and so I, again, you can never make everything that you're doing on the show fair for every single person, for every single age, for every variable. It's impossible. But that's why the show is that balance. And so just to your point, we're trying to find that place where we force people to go into that other place, the, 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 the thing that's not really tangible, that you can't really measure. You, can't, you can measure how much somebody can lift. You can measure how fast somebody can run from point A to point B. But what's really hard to measure is when you're completely tapped and you've got nothing left, like those three contestants in the finale, who has the ability to push beyond what they think or other people think their limits are and go beyond that and push harder than somebody else who's also at their limits. And that's what we saw. And that's what we've been trying to find on the, on the series. And yeah, we saw that. I think Murph won because Murph was able to push through better than anybody else in that given moment. Yeah, the the episode in particular, I mean, you're talking about Linda, and I know we were sort of ruminating last week as like from a story perspective, you know, who has the best chance of taking this? I will say I was surprised. It was a bit of a late push for Linda, in my opinion, where she wins her first challenge with chopping the wood. She has this really nice character scene with her and Melissa where she admits like... She essentially explains her own edit in a manner of speaking, saying, hey, one of the reasons why I've come across as like very to myself and very serious is because that's sort of what I've been conditioned to do in my job. And you see her sort of let loose. She ends up sort of becoming our quote unquote fallen angel in that she finishes fourth. But I I will say the Linda arc in this episode, too, was like it was short, but I thought it was it was an interesting way to end a character who... I'll personally admit uh, up to this point was not someone who was sticking out to me as much as a lot of the cast, but I think she had her moment in the sun this episode. Well, Mike, I think it's great to hear you say that. And I'll tell you why, because we really fought for that scene. Like we fought for a lot of reality scenes, but we really fought for that scene because mm-hmm. there was a lot, there was a lot of investment to get to that moment. And we can't not have characters like Linda because there's a lot of people like Linda who are introverted who deserve a place, I think, in, in a show like this, because not everybody is an extrovert and not everybody is like, I'm going to share all my, you know, put all my emotions on my sleeve. Linda was one of those people. She came out of her shell. She left a different person. She is a different person now. If you look at her in social media and look at the new job she's got and the way she's living her life, coaching uh, young kids um, with special needs, she has a new vision. She has a new lease of life. She is dancing, as she said. She found her emotions. She let go and she let, you know, she cried. And uh, 
there's a lot of baggage there, stuff that she needed to get out. She feels like she's part of a new family. She feels like she has part of the sport. And there's a long way to go <laughs> to get to that moment, but a powerful moment because not everybody is ready to just come out of their shell like, like that. Like not everybody can just turn it on like, oh, here's a quick fix and we're going to put you with a psychologist or we're going to put you in this situation and you're suddenly going to become a different person. It took, you know, we were shooting for a month. It took a month for her to get to that point. She's changed for the better. She's left as a better person. I just got a text from her this morning. Um, she said the show's changed her life. It's very heartfelt to get a text like that, uh, to know that she's come out of it better than she feels she went in. Um, and so we just felt it was a very important story, just like to be able to have a moment like uh, where, where someone like Young is able to sit in a van and all of a sudden, like, where the hell did that speech come from? <laughs> it's so powerful. And when you find a scene like that and you, 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 and you realize that that's the same Young that was very quiet and not necessarily outspoken. He was more of a team player than he was like driving to be the, the winner. He, he was the guy that would come through at the last minute when he was under pressure. And then he gives a speech like that. And it's like, that's why we wanted people to stay because we would never have had that conversation. We would never have had the conversation with Lee and miles in the van. We would never have the, had had the Michelle Cowie conversation, all these powerful Linda miles, We'd never have had these powerful conversations if we'd lost them. And so, yeah, it took the whole season to get to that moment. So for you to draw attention to it, I'm glad you have, because we were like, no, we can't cut this scene. It's got to stay. It's very important. <laughs> yeah, Phil, could you talk a little bit more about that? Uh, I thought that was very powerful at the end of the show where you know, it was kind of like the end of a movie where... Uh, yeah, Animal House. Yeah, what the, what the people <laughs> are, are, are up to now. And uh, when I, I saw about Linda, who it had been such a big part of her identity that, uh, you know, uh, she's, you know, wearing the shirt that says sheriff and, you know, she uh, works in the jail and, you know, she ends up uh, leaving that career behind. And now, look, I, I've seen a lot of people come through reality TV. They leave their careers behind to become influencers, uh, not necessarily <laughs> influencers yeah, to do to do, uh, you know, uh, like to take on like a whole different uh, like a vocation that it was inspired by being part of the show. I, th I thought that was really amazing. I agree. And uh, I think she came to the realization that that job going into a really oppressive and in some cases depressing environment day after day and having to be stoic and having to be forthright and having to be emotionless and having to be ready to react for a fight at any given moment that over the years that wore on her and it was shutting her down emotionally, shutting her down uh, spiritually, shutting down her spirit. Uh, it, it didn't allow her to be what we see is her true self is, is that she is more of an extrovert. She is she she has more to share. She she wants to be laughing more and smiling more. And I think the job, and I think it takes a special person to do that kind of job. I think she realized that maybe that wasn't necessarily the fit for her. Uh, you have to admire those people who are prepared to do those jobs. But I think for her, she realized, you know, I, I need something outside on top of a roof 
and where I can be more, more, more myself or more of what I would like to be. And so, uh, yeah, I love that. And I, um, I love that we're able to follow up and, and, uh, you know, that the idea came from, uh, one of our young producers. Um, she first put the idea forward and, uh, we all responded positively to it because there, I, I constantly get questions on amazing race. Whatever happened to this person? What happened to the couple that was on, you know, and I love postscripts. And, uh, in, in, in the, the film that I did, La Ride, we did a postscript about what happened to all the riders after the tour and they all ended up dying in their late nineties. And it was one of the, it was only a short 45 second piece, but it was one of the more powerful pertinent moments of the film because people do want to know, mm -hmm. okay, well, that's great. We know what happened up to that point, but what happened when they went home <laughs> and what, how have their lives changed since this? So uh, I, I think it was just a nice way of putting a button at the end of the series letting people know where, where everybody was at. Well, I think especially since we were called upon to be a little more emotionally invested in their stories right. over time, it really helped to get an idea of what they had decided to do next. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, it, it, it's, it, it's renewed my uh, faith in, in, in the idea that story ultimately rules uh, that you can't get away from human beings loving a good story. We all love a good story, no matter what it is. And while we're faster to react to uh, chaos in a train wreck situation, we're quick to, to clickbait or we're, we're, we're quick to stop and look at something horrible going on, somebody in a fight or something like that. Uh, deep down, I think, the satisfaction of a, of a good story is something as human beings that we all crave. I think it's why kids love stories. And uh, as a parent, my best memories of being a parent, uh, every night I would read to my daughter and uh, it's still like my favorite memory of like reading about the larks or uh, one fish, blue fish, green fish, blue fish. I think it was um, green eggs and ham, you know, like just, just the satisfaction of a good story. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel alive. It makes us feel connected. We're, it's a shared experience. It's something uh, that, that we have together. And I think that's ultimately where we got to with, with Tough as Nails. It was, it was a shared experience with the, with the audience. And I think they genuinely felt like they were, as you said, Jess, more connected to these people than they are to a lot of other reality shows. One of the reasons too is only 12 people. Uh, so you really could get to know them. And, and they really did open up there, um, open up to the audience. You know, they, they didn't hold back in the end. Even Linda didn't hold back. <laughs> they let it out. <laughs> well, to that point, Phil, I am so intrigued to hear from you. When in the production process did you decide to bring in the families? for the final challenge. Cause I mean, to that point, that was something, especially from a Murph and miles perspective, even Danny, they, they all mentioned at some point that they were doing this for their family. And so it ended up 
being very serendipitous that they ended up in the end and to see their family members being there to, to cheer them on to your point about that, that mental toughness when they were at their absolute limit, I could imagine having those people on the sidelines there and remembering who they're fighting for definitely helped them eke through that last little bit of the challenge. Yeah, it, it was, um, it was an, it, it was an idea that I had early on. I, I always think about how you craft those, uh, moments. They're very difficult, uh, to, 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 to bring together sometimes because there's been so much invested from the audience and so much invested in a series. And how do you create something that is worthy of a finish of, of, of something? And, uh, it was really about thinking, how do we, how do we do something a little different? Um, how do we up the stakes? How do we bring, draw out some of the emotion? How do we let the audience in on the people that they've been hearing about? but they haven't really got to see. And so it's kind of like uh, letting the audience in on, well, these are the people that we've been talking about. These are the people that we're doing this for. This is the reason that we have left home for a while to come onto this show. And uh, so I, I remember when I went to the EIC, uh, executive in charge of production, and I said, want to bring the families in. And it was like, well, how much is that going to cost me? <laughs> I mean, it was not in the line item originally, but it was in, in, in thinking of that moment, we thought this is really worth the investment because uh, this is going to change the way that they go into this and we're going to have this moment. And uh, thankfully, it played out the way we wanted it to. And, uh, and, and they delivered on what it was we wanted. And to see, you know, Miles' young boy running around the corner, it's like, ah. all right, that's, that's a great little moment right there. Yeah, I mean, that was, I, I, I mean, as uh, I'll admit, as the parent of a very young child, that like made me immediately say, like, okay, Miles is the one I'm going for. Just because, like, imagine winning, you know, with your one year old son by your side. But I think what also speaks to that camaraderie and that familial aspect you were talking about last week was even when Miles was struggling on that ladder and boy, that was pretty rough to watch as much as the excitement of the Danny versus Murph stuff was happening. But like, if you look in the background, you'll see like, Obviously, Miles, then girlfriend and son were there rooting for him. But then, like, Michelle was there and Jung was there and Lee was there. And you see shots of, like, Callie holding his son. And I think that really speaks towards the fact of, like, Miles kind of had his tough as nails family meet his real family. And to see them, you know, hang around and mesh in with the people that he goes home to every night is just a, a fantastic microcosm of how the people, these people who have met each other, like have now gotten so intertwined with each other's lives that they really do fit in with their blood family. Yeah, no. And, 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 uh, I, I totally, I totally agree with you. I, I, I thought it was magical to see that. And at the, at the end where, where Callie picks up Miles's son. And, uh, I, I think, you know, we've had a lot of, uh, We've had a lot of people talk about the diversity of our cast, not just racially, but age and in the mix of men and women. And like I said, there's still some people that are like, you can't put a big hefty man up against a woman. That's not fair. We've had, you know, we certainly had a bit of that. But I think it's also why why we're doing the show, because we're trying to say, just hold on a second before you just broad stroke. This is what it is. Take a beat and just look at what we were able to prove on this show. That it isn't always what you think. It isn't always, life isn't always what you 
you, you, it doesn't always seem to be what you think it is. Um, we're not going to change bias or, or open people's eyes up to difference if you don't at least try to represent it in some way. And so I think there were a few people who got woken up to the idea that, geez, a 62, 61-year-old man and woman can actually really contribute something very powerful. And so can this woman and so can this smaller guy. And, you know, there were a lot of things at play here. And like I said, we're never, ever going to get an equal playing field for every person, for every age, for every, you know, background. It's never going to happen. But I think to be able to offer a platform where, where we can at least say here, here, here's the reality of what happens when you give people a chance. And I think we were able to do that. And, I, and I'm looking forward to doing more of it because we didn't get everything right. And uh, you can when you're trying something new and different. You, you should be striving to be better and should be striving to do different things. And we should be striving to create a cast that isn't like this cast. We should be looking for different stories to play. We don't want to be like, oh, let's go find another Lee. Lee is Lee. Good luck. Lee is, there's never going to be another Lee. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Lee is a special human being like they all are. But what I'm saying is you can't there – are, there, are there are lots of great stories out there. It's a matter of digging around and finding them. Uh, and, and we're already seeing that with the casting of season two, just new stories to, to tell. That's exciting, but it's also nerve wracking because you're like, oh my God, season one, <laughs> there were so many good things that happened and you cross your fingers that you could get close to that again. You know? So uh, one of the things I thought that was really interesting was at the end, uh, Murph wins and that he is uh, looking to the savage crew that uh, it's almost like that this was... Yeah. Uh, a, a savage crew victory and, and I really yes. was surprised uh, how much still the teams even though this was the individual portion of the game that how much the yes. the, the, the team camaraderie still was uh, a big part where uh, that there was a uh, talk where Murph in the first challenge he really just wanted to send two people to dirt, uh, from Dirty Hands into the OT because that hadn't happened before uh, yeah. and then uh, you know the celebration with the team that uh, these teams really meant something, uh, maybe more so than winning the individual prize. Yeah, and I think it, I think we talked about that last week with regards to just how surprising the team aspect of the show uh, played, just how how important it was. And uh, when when Lynette was concerned about Murph having to represent the team in the in, in the tiebreaker, she was genuinely concerned about him giving up. Uh, some of his strength that he would need for the individual. And then when he cut his finger and coming in and you see him bleeding all over that ax. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he sacrificed himself and the individual for, for his team, but I don't think you could, you know, none of that is fake and none of that is put on. That's real. Like he genuinely meant what he said when he, you know, and when he was emotional about not coming through for his team, he really wanted to win for his team. That was not, that, 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 that was not just lip service. That was real. And so I think just in the same way that when the team realized, when Michelle goes, I'll clean the latrines for you, I think that sort of speaks to the, the, the respect they have for him 
And by the way, I think he would do it for any of them. Uh, so when, when the underdog team sees the one person from the underdog team go and win, they felt like that was, that was one of their family. That was like mm. their brother, their sister. And, uh, yeah. And so it was very powerful. And, uh, but again, I think because of the investment of a whole season's worth of being together, uniting, cooperating, figuring out their differences, uh, the, the show worked because of the story arcs and, and the characters worked because there was that investment. Like you, you can't do all of that early on. You, it took that length of time to get to that moment with it was very different in the beginning and they were just getting to know each other. What do you mean? I don't understand. You're not listening. And to get to that point where I really understand you, I get you, I'm here for you. I care for you. And, uh, I want to see you do well. So it was nice. It was powerful. So I have a related question to this, um, cause team unity has been such a driving force on this season, I think maybe more than you even expected at first, but then we make a really interesting directorial choice right before the final challenge. And I would love to hear more about if this was just a logistics thing, but all through the season, we've talked about how important it was to show people in the vans talking. And you didn't know at first that the, that the damn van was going to be such a crucible. And then at the final challenge, you put everybody else in one van and you put mm-hmm. the three finalists in another van and you have them talking to each other. It's, it was really interesting to me to finally, to see the, the vans sort of the integrity of the van has been compromised. <laughs> yeah. Just a, just a creative choice to mix it up to see what would happen. I mean, we had a lot of damn van drives and um, we were kind of interested to see what would happen with that final three. And, one of the great things we got out of it was the respect that they all had for Linda. Um, so it facilitated that conversation. And uh, Linda was so close to going through to the final three. Uh, she was the fastest to sort and wrap her pallets. She whooped everybody's time. Um, she was a, a good minute ahead of Danny. She was seven minutes ahead of, uh, of, of, sorry, three minutes ahead of Miles and about seven minutes ahead of, of Murph. She absolutely annihilated the competition, sorting and wrapping those crates. And then she was just terrible at driving. I mean, she was driving like Sunday driver, I, I, right? Sunday driver, the worst. It was, it was heartbreaking to watch. And then she, she ended up losing by, it was a narrow margin to Murph. Murph was so far behind uh, coming off the pallets, getting onto the thing. And so it very easily, it so easily could have been Linda going through because she had such a lead, but it, it wasn't, it was Murph. And then it, that, that would have just think about how the dynamic would have changed yeah. there because mm-hmm. now it, we wouldn't have had Murph now in the finale. And so, and, and, and look how close it was with Callie, Callie was holding her own in the wood chopping, you know, again, to the woman's point about a man can't, a woman can't compete against a man with the upper body and all of that. Callie was right there with, with, uh, with Miles, who works in forestry. Okay. And she's a fisherwoman. And, and, 
So there's no doubt that men and women can compete in a challenge like that equally. And, uh, and then she narrowly misses out with the, the chiseling challenge that very easily she could have gone through. So I think, you know, it was important that we saw male, female representation into the finalists. That was very important. And in an ideal world, I would love to have seen a woman represented in the final three, if only because I don't want people to think, oh, it's all, you know, all the men dominated because it's not actually true. Um, they didn't. Um, there was a balance. Um, Murph and, and Danny were, were definitely outstanding as far as their overall abilities. Uh, but again, when you're, when you're putting something like this together, you, you can't know until you try it, right? Like you just don't know how these things are going to play out. I bet you a lot of people that didn't think Linda was going to dominate the way she did. But then think about Linda going up against Tara and then Tara beats Linda in mm. a soaring competition. So, the, you know, there were a lot of surprises, you know, there's a lot of balancing. Nobody saw Michelle beating Lee. Nobody saw Murph beating Young. He's got a fear of heights and he's a, I mean, there were a lot of things that happened that you can't just like broad stroke say, oh, I know what's going to happen. So that's what makes the show, made the show exciting, I think. I think the surprises in particular um, in the finale were the perfect cap around the season because all season long, we've been kind of like, you know, facetiously complaining that Danny and Murph won every individual challenge. And then you see them not win any of the individual challenges in the finale. I thought that was a big surprise. And that also kind of let everybody else have their moment in the sun before we get to kind of the finale, which really did sort of come down to the two of them again. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, so and look at, at where miles, uh, you know, miles with his wins, Linda with her win, um, you know, changed up. And that was towards the end when the competition was really getting heated up. So they were improving against uh, Murph and, and Danny, uh, as time was going on. So, and, you know, what, you know, Murph, uh, sorry, Miles, two back-to-back -back wins, right? Uh, yeah, two back-to-back -back wins coming off the, the, the victim rescue and then the warehouse, uh, delivery job. So, um, and then Linda, of course, you know, that axe thing, I think that for me was a very powerful moment. It's just an important thing for people to see, to say, okay, we can't just, we can't just make certain assumptions about someone's size and upper body strength and all of that. There is a technique that comes into these things too. Uh, Phil, can I ask about your sideline commentary? Because I really noticed this in the forklift challenge that, I mean, you did a great job of, I think, sort of comparing stuff for us of like, okay, you know, uh, Murph is the slowest on the packing and the wrapping. Uh, Miles is faster than this. Was that done in post or were you actually, you know, comparing these times on the sidelines? There, yeah, there was a, there was a little bit that was done later just to help tracking, um, you know, to be honest with you, that, Challenge was my, uh, probably my least favorite of the whole season. Um, I, I, it didn't work out the way th th there was another way that we were looking to do it. And I wish we'd been able to, and we, for, for a number of reasons, couldn't, 
So needless to say that that one was a little more challenging to assemble than other challenges. There were some challenges that just went together seamlessly and required very little finessing because everything was there. The, all the beats were there. It was very obvious to the editors where all the beats were. That one was not an easy cut. It was, it was challenging. It was, a, it was, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm being honest with you. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, I personally could, I wouldn't say I, I could tell, but I will say that I think if you're comparing the wood chopping challenge to yes. the forklift challenge, the wood chopping challenge, it seems like you guys spent a lot of time in there and use that to sort of do retrospectives on those five. And I sort of mm-hmm. felt like the final George challenge was a bit yada yada by comparison. But I think what you said now sort of makes sense of like, it was yeah. really tough to package. So it makes sense that it's going to be a bit more compact since you have a bit less to work with than that wood chopping. Yeah, so it was, it was tough to package the stuff on the forklift. Yeah, that wrap that wrap was just not clinging. <laughs> yeah, it was not clinging. Correct. It, there was yeah, we, we we were finding it hard to wrap that whole thing up and and deliver what we knew the audience would want and you know stack and rack, um, stack rack and pack whatever it was. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was not. Uh, yeah, it was it was challenging that one. Um, you, you learn things, you know, you, you, as you go, you learn things. You, 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 there's some things that you don't think are going to work as well. And then, you know, I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't particularly keen on the write up for the, for the lineman challenge. It wasn't a personal favorite of mine, but then there were a lot of people that loved it because it was just so different mm. from anything they'd seen before. So you just don't know and, until you try, until you try things. But um, I, I, I personally like the bigger epic stuff. Like I love the the irrigation challenge because there's big playing pieces and this transformation is an empty field. And then there's these massive long lines with eight huge chunks of irrigation and then the sprinklers go on and it's big. So in some of the ideas that we've been developing for season two, I want to try to incorporate some of that. And um, the... I like the big playing pieces and, 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 and also challenges where challenges where you can track the progression of, of where people are at. And that, that's not always easy either. You know, that, that becomes difficult. Phil, was it foreshadowing last week that Danny was going to be uh, struggling with uh, getting <laughs> all of the wrapping done on the forklift when we heard him in the damn van? Dirty hands. Dirty hands. Oh, no. Dirty hands. <laughs> Tough Don't need a coach. <laughs> that was uh, just a, m- more bad rapping from Dan- from Danny. More bad rapping. Yeah, um, <laughs> you're right. He's, he's he he is he's really uh, yeah he's really struggling with his rapping. Um, I thought that you were enjoying though, that He does uh, like when he said, "Hey Phil, look at this. I'm I'm going to be in a relationship with this lot, yeah. but now oh, we're yeah. splitting up." <laughs> Like Danny could not help but do dad jokes, even under the most fortuitous circumstances. I love that about him. Yeah. What do you call right, it when I, it's like when it's like a rap battle, but it's dad jokes? Hmm. Yeah, but I had a, I had a bad dad joke there as well. I just yes, threw it out did. there because he threw a bad dad joke out. So I was like, all right, I'll give you one. Mm-hmm. It's all on the chopping block for who's going to go through to the final four. <laughs> really, Phil? Okay. Yeah. You know, they, you know, there should be a, a zapper. 
<laughs> like you should get an electric shock for a bad dad joke. You have to uh, like well, if that's the case, then uh, I would be six feet under if that if we were giving Dolan out shocks because of that. This is a safe space yeah. for dad jokes. Yeah, the good thing is you don't have to worry about any of those from Murph. He's not throwing out uh, <laughs> 20, uh, dad jokes. No, no, he holds back on those. But yeah, Danny, Danny threw out a few crazy ones, and I know I had you know I I can't help myself. They're bad. Um, but uh, yeah, the the oh man, I love the I love the line from I love the line in the van from Lee when he when he's talking. He says, "You guys have no respect for senior citizens." Yeah, see, I will say I just to, to Jess's point, you know, it was interesting to see that matchup. But one thing I was really happy about was like watching that Tara and Lee interaction because I think unfortunately one thing we missed out on in having these two teams so separated was like having them mix and mingle a bit outside of a of a mixer where roofer lee will get a bit schwasty so to you know have 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 all the eliminated players sort of interact with each other knowing that there's like their part of the game is done now they can just sort of kick back and enjoy each other's company was was a nice little like 30 seconds to get tuned into that's interesting um all right well let's you know i'm making note of that that's that's good um i i i think what's great about lee at the end uh, another great thing about Lee is at the end, I said, uh, Lee, you're never short of a word. What have you got to say? And he goes, he's standing on top of the mountain. Raise those hands up there, brother. Just raise those hands up. And, and it's just like, oh, God, like I, no matter what the circumstances, wherever I was, whatever I was doing, I could always turn to Lee and Lee would give me something. You know, it'd be, it, there'd always be something from Lee and, uh, I'll be over, you know, forever thankful for, for that. Um, cause you, 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 do, you don't always get that from every contestant. There's not like you can't turn to everybody and get something instantly. But when it comes to Wang Dang Doodle Man, <laughs> um, you know, all the cookies in one jar, I mean, it was just one thing after another from him. And we need t shirts with all of his, you know, leisms. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw I saw online on CBS that they um, I didn't know this but uh, that they've already started selling like tough as nails merchandise. There's like a cup of black a white cup with black writing that says tough as nails, and then there's a T-shirt that says tough as nails. I'm like, come on, guys, we gotta we gotta creative this up a little mm-hmm. bit. It's got to be you know tough as nails. It's a wang dang doodle or you know <laughs> uh, right. tough as it. nails. All, all the cookies in one jar or uh, yeah you know something. Because yeah, like don't don't talk to me until I get in the damn van. Yeah, like <laughs> tough as nails. It all happens in the damn van, or mm-hmm. you know, have a good chat in the damn van. Or I mean, it's better. It's it's basically like the talk with you know essential workers in a damn van and who are getting real. Like, it, it, what's better? I mean, we we should be up there. Is that a spinoff? The Is that maybe the, the <laughs> companion <laughs> podcast of the yeah, driving mean, around in the van? Yeah, it's like yeah, uh, the talk meets uh, comedians in cars getting coffee. <laughs> yes, exactly. There you go. We should. You could have a limited. Should be doing. Yeah. You have a web series of like extras, and it's like you I watch totally the show, agree. and then you get yeah. the damn van. Yeah, no. Actually, you know, we've had discussions about like a whole spinoff for CBS All Access, which is just the damn van, and it's all the the all the conversations from the damn van and we just put them in there as extras like if anybody wants to tune in and hear what else they talked about just tune in to the damn van today on cbs 11 yeah 
Now, that really is interesting because I think that you hear so much, uh, you know, uh, you watching like news coverage, you hear like a lot of like, uh, well, this is what, you know, uh, you know, that th- th- we think this is what people are thinking about this. And it, w- it would be great just, to, you know, you have this focus group of here are people that we've plucked out of blue collar America. Like, let's uh, let, let's hear what they're like. Let them uh, talk to each other. Like, that would be great to hear. Well, you know, back in the day. Paul Hogan, uh, who was in Crocodile Dundee, mm-hmm. he used to paint. He used to paint the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And early on, there was a show in Australia that was called the Don Lane Show, and they used to do the voice of the people. And they would go to the bridge and they would interview Paul Hogan on the bridge while he was painting the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And they say, "So, Paul, what's happening uh, in Australia right now?" And he'd say, "Oh, the Prime Minister." The prime minister needs to pull his head in. Uh, this country's going to go to ruin if he doesn't do this. And I can't believe he made this decision. And, and he was like the voice of the people. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Paul. We'll tune in next week for another update from Paul Hogan on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Thanks. Got to get back to work. And he goes back and he paints. Well, of course, he ended up getting his own show and then a movie and everything like that. But yeah, let's take real people from America, the pulse of the country, put them in a damn van and we'll have them talk about what the hell's going on, like real chat. Yeah. Uh, what's really happening? <laughs> yeah. I know that that was something that you talked about uh, with us. And I know it was part of uh, the show about, uh, you know, this is what America is uh, about. And, you know, uh, you know, these people coming together. And, and I really do feel like that uh, that is a, a big message that I feel like has been lost somewhere along the way about, you know, what we could do if everybody was, uh, you know, working together and uh, not so much like uh, the country. So, uh, so divided. Just imagine like what we could all be capable of if we were all w- on the same page. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, like I said, Somewhere I said it's like a a, a, a microcosm of, of of America, right? It's I know that there are people that vote for different parties who are on tough as nails. I know that they did have different beliefs um, about different things, but they found a way to come together because they were focusing on the things that united them, mm-hmm. and and uh, there were heartfelt conversations about things that they felt differently about, like the Miles Linda conversation. I mean, there was a whole thing there that we, you know, we just, again, we're making a competition reality show. We can only go so far with the conversations, but it was really interesting. Um, you know, here you've got Miles, who is is a black man living in America, who has experienced things that none of us can understand. And it's real. And there are some people that doubt him that it's real, but he knows it's real. And uh, Linda, who is in law enforcement, who also knows it's real, and who also knows that some people don't wear the badge with honor, but knows that there are people that do. And so to have those conversations, again, where how do we take the good in both sides and try to unite rather than just carving a line between the two, Mm -hmm. uh, those conversations are hugely important. And uh, it it seems to me uh, that there is less of the conversation to understand 
and and more of the sort of cancel culture idea where I can't believe this person said that. So therefore, all bets are off. I've had nothing to do with this person. I don't, I don't want to understand them. I don't agree with them. I'm going to write them off. But they still live here. They, they're still in this country. Like, we have to live with them. They're our neighbors. They're our co-workers. Mm-hmm. They're people that at school. So isn't it in our best interest to, like, hold on a second. What are you saying? Can you explain to me? Like, help me understand. So that conversation, and I think I said it last week, it was, but it's a little bit like a Thanksgiving dinner where you've got a family that are forced to be together because of blood. But they don't necessarily. They wouldn't necessarily choose to be together if they had a choice. And there's some obnoxious, what, what appears to be an obnoxious uncle saying outrageous things, and someone gets in a discussion with them, and then instead of like confronting them and trying to find some common ground and like talk this person down to some place where there's some understanding, the person just gets offended, gets up, and walks away, and that's it. And no, there's no progress. There's no. There's no forward momentum. It just stops right there. It's like, okay, division. Let's let that division continue down the road. And it's like kicking the can down the road, down the road, down the road. And so I am really hoping that a show like this in a small way can, can show that. And, and I say in a small way, because I don't, I don't want to marginalize the bigger issues that we have, but in a small way can show where conversation can there can be resolution and there, there can be understanding. We're capable of it. And, uh, it's just like to see more of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Phil, how, how are you feeling right now? Because I can imagine it, it's a weird sort of maelstrom of stuff where now this first season of a show that you have worked for years to get on the air has, has finally completed. And you're obviously looking forward to the next one, but we know you talked about this in the beginning of the podcast. I can imagine there's like some, some sadness to, you know, this finally being over after finally being seen to completion for so long, there's more in the future, but it it has to be an interesting feeling to have this chapter conclude of tough as nails and of your life. Yeah. Um, it, it, like I said, I was very emotional that the first day of rolling, I, I couldn't, you know, I had tears uh, when I was talking to the, to the contestants for the first time. I don't think they saw the tears, but they, it was more just like that. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm actually addressing these people. Like this is actually happening now. It's not a conversation. It's not a plea. Um, I think, it, you know, last night for me, it's just a huge uh, relief, uh, like a weight off my shoulders uh, because I've made so many promises and I've been, it's like you're selling, 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 selling something for so long. And, and, and you really, really believe in what you're saying deep down, but you, you also know that you don't really know. You think you know, but you don't really know. You think you have something to offer, but until you've tried it, you don't really know. You don't know how people are going to react. So it's like a tremendous weight. Um, to be honest with you, I wasn't very well last night. So, uh, I, I didn't enjoy the finale the way I wished I had. I, I could have, um, uh, but, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely emotional. And, 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 and then at the same time, incredibly excited about what we have the potential to build and to, and to make better. And, and the goal is that we should be better. Like we, the show should be better next season. Um, 
you know, every season should be a step up from the one before. Hmm. Um, and, and so how we do that and what we do to keep on improving, you know, we're still, we're still working on, but, uh, yeah, it's exciting that we get to do it again. And, and I'm just hugely grateful that, that, uh, Kelly Call and Tom Sherman, David Staff over at CBS, uh, opened the door and, and there were a lot of people. I got a lot of no's before I got a yes. And, um, yeah, as, as one, one, as someone said to me, you had a thousand reasons to just <laughs> say, screw this. It's not worth it. It's, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's over. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why I could, uh, I, I I've never, I've never pushed so hard to do something uh, in my career. You know, it's a big chunk of my career, 35 years, and this is a good chunk of it, <laughs> trying to get it going. And it's never a, like I told you so, like I have no, I told you so's to say to anybody who said no to me because they didn't know, I didn't know, we don't know the timing of when it happened, none of that. It's not, I'm never going to, you know, I'd hate to be in a position of making decisions about what shows go and what shows don't. But I am very pleased and, and that I was trusted to follow a vision. And they really did let me do what I wanted to do, the way I shot it, and the, the, the people that I brought on, the, the, the method of the way that we did. It was unconventional in many ways. Everything from the audio plan to the camera plan uh, to the way that we set up the, uh, the lighting. And there was a lot of things. The grade. Um, yeah. So... Believed, I would say. <laughs> you don't have to tell people I told you so, but you can just bask in being right without having to well, tell somebody else they're wrong. Yeah, but I don't even know if I'm right. I, I, uh, because I, I mean, I wish it was that simple. I, I think it's more just, um, it's certainly satisfying to know that what I was saying, like there was something there, like, but but you can't uh it's it's like so many there's so many good ideas so many good books so many movies and things that don't get made because it requires someone opening a door that's the hardest part right like how many good ideas have gone by the wayside because they're it's a new and different idea i think it's just it's it's easier to be close to something that exists to sell something that's close to something that exists it's it's this show it's, it's just like this show, except what we do is we drop them into a hole. They fall 300 feet into a swimming pool, and then they swim out of frigid cold water, and they have to complete a choreographed routine in order to get on the dance troupe. Like, wow, that's so great. That's still, you got, you're good for 10 episodes. I'll I'll buy it. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, so, so hard to know. Like I said, I'd hate to be the decision maker. They're they're big risks, right? Like uh, Hmm. you're talking millions of dollar risk, like on an idea. What's the insurance? How do you, you've got to give people that comfort, right? They want to know. We're going to take a risky trip to the moon, but are we well insured? What's going to happen if, if, if we don't quite get out of the atmosphere and we have to fall back on the, onto earth? And, and I've, I've listened. I've believed in things before that, that, that 
I really believed in. I'm like, oh my God, this is, surely this is going to work. And then you put all your heart and soul into something that doesn't quite pan out the way you want. So I, I, I'm never going to be the, uh, you know, I told you so guy, because man, if I could, if, if I had the, the, the formula, sorry, if I had a formula for what works and what doesn't work, anybody, by the way, man, you'd just be repeating it, right? But it's impossible. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's impossible. Phil, knowing that so much of this uh, season was going to come down to ultimately uh, Danny versus Murph, could you tell us a little bit about if you are, are, are you trying to sort of like uh, lead the audience to sort of like down like a false path of, uh, or are you trying to like uh, give exposure to both of them equally so we really don't know at the end of, uh, w you know, which person we've seen more of? Well, if you think about it, up, like up to the final five, all our storytelling up to that point is about the potential for any of those five winning, right? Mm -hmm. Like there is that potential. Um, and like I said to you, it was very nearly Linda made it into the final three, and then who knows what, have happened, what would happen. So you have to carry on. As, as, chronologically, you have to assume that any of those people, you, you have to build the insurance in that you've covered a win for any of those people mm -hmm. right, to be able to use that in the, in the storytelling. But you have to be, obviously you have to be careful about making sure that it is balanced and that, um, that everybody is given equal storytelling opportunity. Cause you got um, me. I thought it was going to be Danny. I thought this was going to be a, a, a Danny win all the way. You didn't get Jess though. Didn't get Jess. Huh? Can't trick you got to get up earlier to get Jess. Mm -hmm. You got to get up early. The early bird gets the worm. Um, another <laughs> terrible dad joke. Um, but um, your shock's it, coming, Phil. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it happens. Um, yeah, I, I, I think. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't feel like we did a lot of that on the show. Um, uh, you know, we're certainly trying to balance people's stories, but we, we we didn't deliberately go out of our way to mislead or. Uh, you know, we wanted everybody to feel too that Miles had an equal opportunity at winning. Uh, you know, had he had he not that hung up on that ladder and wasted so much energy there because he got off to a really good start, we could have had a much closer finish with him. And we we don't know what might have happened at that point once he saw that he was in with a chance. Um, so, yeah, I, I, we're we're not trying to deliberately steer people off in a to think a certain thing. I just think that that's and, a question and, that us on the outside, especially people that really like uh, look at these shows, I always wonder like, is that a thing? Are they trying, are they trying to throw us off? But uh, you're saying that, that I think you know, shows do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think shows do that for sure. Um, I, I, I think shows do that when it's really obvious that one person maybe is going to win. Mm hmm. Um, but I, I don't know if it was really that obvious that Murph was going to win. I mean, I, if I'd had to pick going into that final, especially the way it started, I, I was pretty sure Danny was going to win it. Um, I just felt that he, his, his energy and he had youth on his side. He had, uh, he, he's like a little powerhouse. All the challenges were things that were in his wheelhouse. He was, um, he was better at, uh, at chopping wood than, 
than Murph was. So that action of, of hitting the hammer and driving in those spike, spikes, theoretically, he should have beaten Murph and Miles on that. Um, his power to weight ratio, lifting the, the hay bales, uh, his dexterity, forearms, very powerful forearms. So I, my prediction was that he was going to run away with the, with the win. Mm. Um, and, uh, not that I didn't think that Miles or Murph couldn't win, but I just felt that it was weighted more towards Danny in that moment. What made you ultimately decide to go with a final three? Because I think with a lot of the shows, especially from the CBS reality pantheon, we sort of discuss how you want to end things with the last stage of the game. And there was a universe where you could have easily done a head-to-head, mano-a-mano. When you add another mono in there, when did you decide to end with three people instead of two? Well, it was always, it was in my original write-up, my format write-up from 10 years ago. Uh, I I always feel like you've got to have that third party in there for the variable to, to give yourself a chance of a tighter finish, like of a real horse race. If you take one of those out, uh, you run the risk of just two competitors and then you, you end up with a bigger separation. It's harder to create a a horse race situation and it's a sort mm. of a fait accompli and it's like watching paint dry. So, um, yeah, no, the three thing is always, uh, to me, final three is always worked really well. And then the four to three with none, with no, uh, with no second chances on the four was always something that was in the write up from day one as well. So yeah, that was, I, I never considered a head to head one on one for that i did for the overtime but by the way the overtime in one of my original write-ups from um 2009 uh there i actually had an overtime um with three people in it because i had a different i had a different structure for the uh for the challenges um at one point where there were more challenges in the show and so there were uh actually three losers the way that it was structured going and then those three losers went into the overtime and then two stayed and one went Hmm. um but then after the test last year we realized it was just too much show and by the time we added in the damn van and then we uh we added in the reality moments we were like okay we're going to leave ourselves no room to have the damn van and the reality moments so we backed it out and then I, i then i went to two and then in that case because of the nature of the challenges and the idea was let's bring it all into the boxing ring, then it made sense to be uh, a head-to-head, one-on-one, two people going at it in the cage. That was kind of the conceit of that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that especially when it comes to overtime, uh, with three people, I don't like this idea of like, oh, it's all it's just about not losing, not necessarily winning. So I really do think that concept of the head to head, which, again, we've seen in, in, you know, survivor challenges in the past just makes it more even if it is a blowout. I think it just makes it more of an an epic type of showdown than All right. All I need to do is just finish in the middle and not lose. Right. Are you throwing shade at the amazing race, Mike? That, listen, amazing race. That's another one that fin- that finishes with three teams. So I could see Phil's point. It's inherent mm-hmm. in his DNA. It's <laughs> a good point. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. I, I've always loved the number three. I think I, I think threes threes just adds a bit of spice. It's like you know threes a crowd. Um, uh, it doesn't work on a date, but it does maybe in competition. <laughs> and I guess if uh, if if two people are vying for one other in a threesome, then 
Um, then you end up with uh, good competition, rivalry, because you know there's a bit of battling and of the wits going on there. So, yeah, no, it's always seemed like the competitive way to do it. You know, Phil, the people that we talk to, or the listeners uh, specifically that listen to these types of shows, like I think they're always trying to think about, like, okay, well, what it, what is the right way to win? You know, these shows that we talk about, like, what are sort of like the rules of the show? Do you feel like that after seeing how this played out in season one, that you could identify, like, what what was the keys to Murph's success other than his just fortitude of not ever giving up and for like a future contestant uh what do you think is like the most important skill sets to bring to this well i think it was about his mind i i think that was about wisdom that was about being 48 years old being shot at having the loss of people close to him having to go through tremendous emotional uh challenges in his life Mm -hmm. real lows but then also just uh, sacrifice and 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 hardship and living it, breathing it, um, doing things that you and I would be too scared to do. You know, you put on battle fatigues and go fight and and live the life that he's lived. It changes you, and uh, and so. He brought all of that, all of that life experience, all that grit to the show. And I think in that moment where he was able to draw on something, you never saw, you never saw Murph, you know, in all due respect to Danny, Danny was panicking, right? He was panicking that his soul wasn't cutting. He was panicking that Murph was catching up. Murph wasn't, he never panicked. He never, he never lost his cool, quite frankly, on anything other than in the damn van when he, when he said, Michelle, you need to listen to us. But, and, and, or when they were shuffling the sand and he said, you know, listen. And, but for the most part, he was a very cool kind of collective character. And I think he, he brought all of that to, to, to the way that he approached everything in life. Mm-hmm. He approaches everything in life. Yeah. yeah. So I think that was the, that was the, that was the, the deciding factor in the end. That last challenge, it really, you know, was sort of like playing out like a horror movie where that Danny is sort of like the, you know, the, the teenager. What's the movie called Saw? Yeah, that's, that's rough. <laughs> no, the, the teenager is like running, <laughs> running around and he's like, and like the, the car won't start and he's having all these, all these problems. And then here comes Murph. He's just like Jason. He's just going to slow down. He just keeps coming no matter what Danny's trying to do. Uh, Murph does look like that guy who like uh, owns the the like shack next to the graveyard, right? Where all the the zombies are coming to life. <laughs> yeah, it, it was uh, pretty intimidating. Like I gotta say, if I was up against him and and I was in Danny's situation, I think I'd feel the same way. Yeah. I mean, it did look a little little bit like the Grim Reaper with that Panic. sweat and the, the. Yeah, it was. Well, I mean, how could you not? I mean, mm-hmm. and. And he was just so efficient. Like he went into like you could just see him go into a zone. Like yeah, it was it was powerful. And he said he did, he couldn't see or hear anything around mm-hmm. him. He was just like in that moment. And uh, I, I I did an interview with him after, and um, he said yeah, he just shut everything out, and he just went into that. 
place that he's been to before that he's had to go into before to survive. In other cases, for life or death situations, in this case, for a good chunk of money and a nice truck. I heard someone say something about um, the money, by the way. Uh, how come these hardworking people only get $200,000 in a truck? And I had, and, and, and on, on the, you know, big show like Big Brother, they get 500000 Yeah. And they live in a house. Who are these one percenters uh, complaining about the two hundred thousand? Right. So I I had to complain. I had to 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 react by saying, first of all, uh, our budget was not anything like any of these other shows, and second of all, um, you have to look at the total of what we gave away. The truck, customized truck, is a good, you know, close to a hundred grand plus two hundred plus all the money we gave away on the team. So. Uh, in the team challenges, which is not something I think they do on Big Brother, right? They don't give away money throughout. I don't know, but um, yeah, and we're, we 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 did the best that we could with what we had, um, and you know, down the road with the show uh, becoming more popular, hopefully we'll be able to offer more. But mm-hmm. uh, it always just surprises me. It's like, really, do you have to? You have to go there. Like, is it, is that really, like, is, is that really what you took away from this whole thing? It's like the money wasn't enough. And then I had someone else say, Oh, great. You've given them $200,000 on the truck. Now they're going to have tax problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought if you, t- if you take the two opinions, where the hell as a producer do you find the middle ground to like find the number? Okay, everybody, a hundred and $25,523, the perfect amount to give away without creating tax problems and without people <laughs> criticizing you for giving away too little. Mm-hmm. Everybody's happy. Great. You know, Phil, you can't please here. everyone. Yeah. No, it's well, just, it just amazes me. It's just like, <laughs> really? Like That's that what know, you took Phil. away. <laughs> can I, can I just say my favorite part of every podcast we do with you, Phil, is you know, Phil Kogan claps back at people that were criticizing his show on Twitter. Feels cathartic. It's the best well, part. Yeah. It's not even, it's not even, it's not even the criticism. It's just that how ludicrous is it? It's like, dude, think it out. Like, give, you know, you want to say that? Then give me an answer. The, mm-hmm. the number, Phil, that you need to strive for is da, 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 550,000. That's fair and reasonable. <laughs> just like to throw out of a thing like you know you know i i love your podcast rob has a podcast but do you have to have the mics in shot mm-hmm. it lessens the quality of your sh- oh show. phil you think we don't get really those? that's <laughs> yeah, it's like like really that's that's mm-hmm. what you take away from all the hard work that you guys do to put something together that's really what you want to talk about like come oh. on I want to ask about the prize because I'm a big dum-dum and I'm intrigued how you got that truck up on that shipping container and how you got it down. Crane? (laughs) It was a crane, Mike. It's a special (laughs) forklift that can go up five stories, uh, maybe six. Was Miles driving it? No way. We had had a rider written in there, no Miles driving anything on that lot. Um... So it can lift. Linda, did a, he still be there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk about two extremes, right? One that was like a, a, a liability, and the other one that was driving so slowly, it was like, how long are we going to be here? Um, but it, yeah, it's a special forklift that can lift one of those bigger containers 
uh, I think five or six stories up. And so what we then had to do was get one of these, uh, it's like a flat, I guess you could call it a flatbed. And, uh, and then we could strap the truck to the, this flatbed thing, but it had the, it had the, uh, the holes for the forklift to be able to lift it up. And then we were able to plunk it on the top. And didn't it look nice up there and cherry red just sitting up there? Mm-hmm. And, and then off in the distance, you know, there it was, this thing, this, that's where you're going. You got to get up there, get, get to your truck. Speaking of trucks, what, can I show you a couple of things? Sure. Yes, please. Oh, yes. I have to describe them for people who are listening. But. Phil has left the microphone. <laughs> He's left his post. Good thing we know that the microphone's in shot, so we know that he left it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. So the first thing I have to show you yes. is a beautiful Ford truck. Look at this that I got. This is an old school Ford pickup truck. Yes. Isn't that nice? That's uh, part of the memorabilia here in, uh, in the office. That's what, early 60s? I think that's um, more of a, uh, uh, a 50s. But, um, I could be wrong. Let's have a look. Let's see what it says on the bottom here. Uh, you know what it should say the year, Jess? It doesn't, but I'm going to go with your guess, but it looks more like 50s to me. If any of your uh, viewers have, a, have an idea, then let us know. Okay. And then, isn't this the coolest? I got this. A cookie! Oh, cookies. Cookie! Oh, cookies in one jar. Yes. And uh, it's, it's signed by everybody on the production, and they gave it to me oh. as a memento for being a part of... Uh, of tough as nails. Oh, that's which is beautiful. I will make a note time. that Phil, the wood has split. Does that mean you had to take another cookie and start over? It was a budget cut. Um, that <laughs> I had to take. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think if anybody knows anything about wood, let me know. But uh, I think I meant to soak this in varnish or something to stop it splitting anymore. But I, I this is one of my prized things because um, uh, everybody got together. Oh, and then on the back is the Signature of all the, the uh, contestants. Ooh, let's see who has the nicest signature. <laughs> oh, Lynette does a nice thing with the ends. Uh, yeah, and then what have we got here? Whoop, I gotta go this way. Okay, I like Miles has got the little uh, smile on top of the V. Yeah. And then look Smiles at young signed, in yeah. Co- young signed in Korean. You see that? Yes. And then Melissa is cut up a wee bit there because she it's me, Lissa. I will say I think everyone has pretty good handwriting. I think Lee's is probably the sloppiest, but it also feels the most appropriate to Lee as a person. Yeah. It, yes, and he sort of he got smaller, didn't he? But he got Lee and then the Marshall went small. Yes. And then Michelle Kitty with the little smiley face. Tara drew the, the bat symbol. Bat, Batman <laughs> bat symbol. And then we have um, Murph. Mm-hmm. And what's he put? Semper Fi. Semper Fi, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, there we are. There you go. So anyway, that's 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 going uh that's going straight to the pool room. Do you know where that quote's from? One of my favorite movies. Yes. <laughs> the Castle? Castle. Yeah. Australian comedy. You guys have gotta see it. Okay. Great film. All right, and the final show. Where can I stream that? (laughs) Yes. Oh, yes. Talk about this. The toughest. Oh, toughest nail belt. Yeah. 
Uh, I was not told there was going to be a belt. Yeah. And that came out of nowhere. Well, that was surprising because <laughs> okay, I feel like so. that, that Murph does bear a resemblance to The Undertaker. Uh, so then when he <laughs> put on the title belt at the end, I was like, oh, this looks appropriate. So he, I, I'm going to be sending this out to him. I got to tell you, not everybody in the production was into the idea. Uh, it, it was something that I, I wanted and uh, <laughs> I was able to get. Mm-hmm. But everybody's like, really? You want to give a belt? And I'm like, yeah, we're going to give a damn belt. All right. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they were like, but really you want, and I was like, from, from my original write up, I always had like the championship belt. Um, Murph, Murph wants this. And then I'm going to get another one. And, uh, on the side here, I'm going to put the, the, have the winner's names engraved. So there'll be like a master belt Ooh. that, that so, we keep that we yeah, use I- for promotion. And then, and then every winner will get their own belt. See, there's where you got it wrong, Rob. Yeah, yeah. You, Rob has Rob has has experience with having to seek belts from previous recipients, deliver them to the next person, and then sometimes just never getting them back. Yeah. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Story for uh, another day, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, any any insight you can give me that I need to learn? So, so you're gonna make a, a new belt every year, right? Yeah, so the, a new belt like that will go to every winner. Yeah, that's good. That's but, the way to but, do it. But then we're going to have the, um, a, a master belt, meaning there'll be a belt that's, that I can use for promotional tours that uh, I can show to you guys. Yes. And it will have it will stay in the office here, and it will print have printed all smart. of the winners of Very the smart, season. Yeah. So that, uh, yeah, there's a, it's, it, and they're replicas, but um, it'll, it'll be one that, yeah. Yeah. We always have a master belt. That's the way to do it because sometimes people will lose the belt, Phil. If you're trying to just have one. That's, yeah, not a good idea. Not a good idea. But Murph is, Murph is like, I did an interview with him, I said, and, and uh, he was like, Phil, you see the space that I have on my shelf right there? I'm waiting for the belt. I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, it's coming. Yeah. Uh, that's, he'd be so overjoyed to get that belt. It'll be great in season yes. two because you have all these people saying like, uh, I'm coming to Tough as Nails season two and I'll be wearing that belt. <laughs> and then Murph will just respond, no, you're not. I'm I can trash talk as well. And I'm putting on the championship <laughs> belt. You can imagine like Murph just running from off screen, like just charging down the other person, and like suddenly hey, they get into. There's only one champion around here, and that's me. Around here. <laughs> so season ten, we have to have. Well, season eleven, I guess we have to have. Uh, uh, all stars. No, it would be it would be thirteen. Would be mm-hmm. all stars, right? We'd have everybody mm-hmm. come back. Yeah, or you can. I thought like you were going to say there's going to be a Royal Rumble. I was going to say a yeah, tough as nails Royal Rumble. I think can make let's, sense. Uh, let's have a tough as nails Rumble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But instead, it's so like we're going to throw thirteen pieces of wood in there, and you have to chop through them first, or you exit the ring. How do you think these cookies would go if they sold them at CBS.com in the merchandising? You know, get your own tough as nails cookie. <laughs> Um, little fibers in one jar. Mm-hmm. I guess they could sell like all a whole bunch of cookies in a little jar. Tough as nails cookies. All your cookies yeah. Well, in one you jar. could have smaller cookies. What, what if you had coasters that looked like the cookies? That's a good idea. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Coasters that looked like Tough the badges of honor and Jess branded with branded with the Tough as Nails logo. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, Jess, that is brilliant. Tough as nails coasters that are cookies. Yeah. yeah, like that burn the logo like into chips. them. But They're yeah. beautiful. If you're so tough, I you don't use that. a coaster. That's, that's a, sort of like a coaster no, is, uh, is, you know, not necessarily that's a brilliant idea. with being tough. Look, 
Rob, you can be oh, tough on. and still care about your furniture. Yeah, please, Rob. They're mm. tough, not uncivilized. Yes, we are tough, but we are civilized. Jess, that is a brilliant idea. I love that idea. They can you do put the a cookies. cold drink on my table without a cookie. <laughs> All <laughs> the cookies in one jar. <laughs> you put a glass of milk on your cookie. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. Ah, Just don't dunk. I, <laughs> oh, boy. You guys are good. Listen, I uh, I probably should. What the hell's the time here? Yeah, you definitely go. You got to wrap. Good. Up. Yes. Goodness me. I You guys have Thank just, you, Phil. once again, kept, kept me too long. So listen, what are we doing about the, the payment for the season and all of that? How's all that going to work? Uh, um, Phil, if you want to suggest a number. Phil, the taxes. The taxes. Your taxes. That's really the, the thing. Yeah, uh, is it? Because yeah, I was just wondering. Do you want to do you want to email me offline the um, the address for the invoice? I, I wasn't sure. I made up. I've done the invoice. I've got the manager. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the address for that shipping yard again? That's the address for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were just going to send you a belt, but you already have one. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, OK, I see. Is that how it's going to work? Yeah. Okay. But, but Phil, I mean, we I don't think we can come up with enough words to thank you for the perspective that you bought. I mean, the three of us have certainly known a bit in bits and pieces about, you know, how some of these shows are made behind the scenes. But to essentially be able to see the show through your eyes week after week, the passion that you bring to it, as well as as you know, your vulnerability and your ability to talk about why you thought through certain things and why you're able to workshop things. It was I know I speak on behalf of the listeners as well when I say it's been incredibly enlightening. Totally, you know, one of the most positive experiences I've had out of 2020 so far, which may not be saying a lot, but it's saying a lot. Um, And, you know, it's... Well, you haven't had a COVID test yet. That's that's, true, exactly. I haven't haven't reached that part of it yet, but it's it's been truly a treat and then some to be able to talk with you week after week about, you know, this show and to know that there's going to be more to come from you in the future. It, it, it really has been such a fantastic way to spend a summer, both watching and talking about this. And you are a huge part of that. Oh, well, that's really nice of you. And I, 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 I I'll, uh, I'll take that because I did have people that are close to me um, who said, Phil, you need to stop going on the show because you, <laughs> you know, we want to hear, we want to hear what they have to say. We're sick of hearing what you have to say. So I actually got, you know, some people are like, enough, Phil, enough, Phil, and let them talk about it. So I was worried that I was taking away from you guys talking. And then somebody said to me, why did you say what you said to to, to Jess when you were like challenging her on what she said? And I said, what are you talking about? It was we're like in a discussion of like, yeah, but you shouldn't have said that to Jess. And I was like, but Jess wants me to. Surely she wants me. Like she said, so I said it. Like this, mm-hmm. Right. It's a conversation. Like we're having a conversation. We can't. That's the whole point is we're trying to, again, why is everybody running away from having a conversation <laughs> yes. about trying to find understanding for God's sake? But anyway, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And, um, and I think a, a, a big part of, um, people finding the show has, uh, has been because of you guys, uh, getting the word out there. And I thank you for that because, you know, I'm not, uh, this is not a show that, you know, got booked on Colbert or got booked on the big shows like, Hey, we've got this new show. We need to tell you about, this is much more of a, it's been, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm I'm not the rock doing, um, what's that uh, Titans, you know, where the rock is going to get booked on these big shows. I'm not that guy to get those bookings. Um, so a show like this works on, 
you know, happens because of word of mouth and people talking about it. And hopefully the content is good enough that when people go and look at it, they go, oh, yeah, this is worth my time. But it's taken grassroots marketing and also you guys that are talking about it who know that you guys know reality to then go, okay, because of what they're saying, I'm going to check this out. And then thankfully, I think people have stayed because, and we've seen that in the ratings, that when people come, they don't leave, which is which is great because we lock them in. We don't let them leave. But um, yeah, so thank you for uh, supporting the show. And, uh, and, and, you know, season two will strive to, will strive to be, be better, make the show even better. Yeah. All right. Well, Phil, we're happy to have you here. Then the only rock that we want to hear about is pea gravel, rock gravel, and sand. Okay. That's why we have you on the show. Uh, the only thing I have in common with the rock is, is the, is the raised eyebrow. Yes. But, um, I, Who wore it I'm better? not sure what, I'm not sure, you know, my raised eyebrow, uh, full disclosure, comes from um, comes from Lee Majors. Okay, so I was a big bionic not man. Lee Marshall? No, not Lee Marshall. <laughs> a different type of bionic man. Mm-hmm. A different kind of bionic man. But for those of your, your listeners who don't know what I'm talking about, there was once a show called The Six Million Dollar Man sure. with a guy called Lee Majors who I believe was married to Farrah Fawcett. And if you don't know who Farrah Fawcett is, you're going to have to look that up as well. But she was a very uh, popular Mm -hmm. uh, actress or model back a long way back. But anyway, Lee Majors came to my 40th birthday. It's a long story, but he came to my birthday. And I happened to have a Lee Majors uh, bionic man, his character's name was Steve Austin, in the space capsule. And when I was a kid, it was my favorite toy. And I got a photograph at my 40th with me doing a raised eyebrow with Lee Majors. I'll post it actually after this on Instagram. Both of us with raised Please. eyebrows. And, and and I thought one day I, I'm going to find, if I you know get on TV, I'm going to find a way to raise my eyebrow like the bionic man. <laughs> and... Uh, and it became kind of my thing. Like when people would say something and I was like a little surprised, I'd do my raised eyebrow. Uh-oh. And, um, and anyway, I'm at my 40th birthday and I'm doing the photograph and Lee Major's wife comes up to me and goes, and she's a fan of Amazing Race and she goes, you stole the raised eyebrow from my husband. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yes, actually I did. And she went, Okay, that's okay. At least you admitted it because he was the first one. And I went, yes, he was. So then after that, there's been a few people. I, I but I'm I'm pretty sure I preceded the Rock. I'm I'm not sure when he started raising his eyebrow, but um, anyway, enough. Okay, enough. We must we, we must go get on with our lives. All right. I'm waiting for my COVID test results. They should be in any yeah. moment. Okay. All right, another thing in Wouldn't it be amazing? Rock. Wouldn't yes. it be amazing if I uh, Oh yes, another thing in common. Yeah, I hope you don't have <laughs> oh, that. Yeah, hopefully that's rock, the one actually. thing you don't have in common that the only the can people's you, eyebrow is transferable. Yes. <laughs> can you imagine if 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 I if I come up positive and then you guys know that this whole time, thank God this is yet it can't go through here. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't it be crazy? Yeah. If you're like, "Oh my god, we talked to COVID Phil." <laughs> <laughs> 
Is that like the new Drywall Danny? Yeah. <laughs> That's much worse than Drywall Danny. It's COVID Phil with the raised eyebrow. All right. Top All right. Name. Rob is Rob needs Rob is trying to get rid of me. All right, Rob. Let me give you space. <laughs> and Amazing Randy. Only two, one. Clouds off. Phil Kogan. Phil, yeah. thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Phil. All right, there you go. The great Phil Kogan. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the finale and wrap up the season. But first, let me take a moment and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. Those are our friends over at Rock Auto. Speaking of the Rock, rockauto.com. That's your best place to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Now, chain stores. Uh, My- Miles hates chain stores, Mike. That uh, he does not yeah, like chain uh, stores. Yeah. Has- <laughs> I think he's fine with the first couple, then it gets just tangled up in too many chain stores. They've got those different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they're reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear, like the airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and doesn't require a membership or an account login. RockAuto.com's a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Uh, They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Get your alternators there too. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. RockAuto.com's catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. Choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. And best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do it yourself or so why spend up to twice as much for the same parts you can go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right rob is a podcast in the how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com all right. Uh, lots of fun with uh, Phil here today as we start to uh, wrap up Tough as Nails uh, season one. Okay. You have to be careful with that rapping, Rob. Yes. Yes. I want to be a better, be a better rapper than uh, Danny. I should help. Okay. Who's a better rapper, Danny or Chris Noble? Hmm. Probably Chris Noble. I feel like Chris Noble is more of an aluminum foil guy than a rapping guy. <laughs> Stop <laughs> rapping. Okay. All right. Um, any other thoughts about the finale or the season as a whole? I mean, I feel, I feel like it's appropriate that we should, you know, look back on the season and the winner. Cause look, I mean, we talked this entire season about how we felt like it was really a two horse race between Danny and Murph. But now that the dust has settled, how do we feel exactly a lot of sawdust at the end there? How do we feel about Murph as a winner, especially given his, uh, given his story? Cause I will say you know, I, I could have seen a Danny win and I certainly would have liked a Danny win, but I think what would have gotten me the most in my craw with a Danny win is the fact that he didn't really face a lot of opposition. Uh, he was the one to say firsthand that he finished first or second in basically every challenge. Whereas, again, say what you want to about Murph from an edit perspective and the number, fact that he won so many challenges, but he was not looking so hot in those last few challenges. And I think also sort of encompass- encompassing him with the savage crew of it all, to Phil's point, he almost did seem like an underdog going into this finale. So I found that win particularly satisfying on that level. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, I think a Danny win would have felt like whenever the Yankees win the World Series. Mm. Oh, like, well, okay, would, would not have you don't that. hate it, but 
and you, you can't deny the amount of hard work and effort that went into it. But it's also like, yeah, okay, where's the there there? And I think, mm-hmm. I think Murph definitely like you can't tell the story if it doesn't happen. But I feel like we were being set up for a Murph win all along, mm-hmm. and. He had definitely the most satisfying story arc. And I think if Danny had been the winner, they would have crafted something else along those lines and would have found a way to put that in there. Yeah, it was a little bit of a David versus a Goliath story. uh, But ultimately, then, did it shift by the end where the David had become the Goliath and the Goliath had become the David? (laughs) Jeff Probst is wetting himself right now just mm-hmm. hearing this because yeah, that's that is sort of what happened where I think Murph is someone who comes in and I think when you look at like toughness from a visual perspective you look at somebody like Murph especially compared to someone like Danny who is on the shorter side but as the competition went Danny proved himself to be the overdog to the point where he beat Murph as recently as the, the end of the last episode and so to see them kind of face down it's also, you know, pretty remarkable to say that Murph was not only the oldest person left of this group of five, he was also the third oldest person in the cast in general. He's, he was 47, I think, when he ended up winning this thing. So, again, you know, I think he, he represents, obviously, there is the Marine angle, and that was certainly, uh, you know, emphasized a lot. But I do think that what he represented and what he ended up sort of standing for, uh, you know, to the point of what we were talking about before with the, the Savage Crew call out at the end, his win sort of meant something more, I think, just given that storyline than someone like Danny, who was a really, really fun character. But I mean, our, I think a lot of our story priorities lie with the team challenges and a lot of the team challenges storylines lied with Savage Crew. And so mm-hmm. by like that transitive property, a lot of the storyline ended up being Savage focused. Yeah, that's very true. It felt like it felt like most of the season was Savage Crew against the world. And to have that wrap up and i think everybody got a win here because you had you had dirty hands getting the ultimate win and then you had someone from savage crew getting the individual win and i think that kind of it was almost like everybody got to share in the victory Mm. do you want to talk through the specific challenges from uh the episode last night in terms of uh, how much we enjoyed them I do. So the chopping wood was obviously, I think, one of the simpler ones mm-hmm. that we've seen. Uh, didn't make it any less arduous. I, I think there were some interesting different strategies employed, but I do feel like uh, maybe second only to Tara, uh, maybe or maybe to Young as well, Callie had a pretty tough downward spiral in the first uh, third of this episode between just like being unable to smash the logs and then dealing with, uh, you know, nearly beating miles at the end, but losing out there as well. And Callie, I thought was coming to her own uh, in the, in the last part of the season too. But you know, I would say for the first challenge, I do kind of wish that they had put this on the end maybe of the previous challenge because it was interesting to go from an entire hour of chopping wood last episode to an entire half hour of chopping wood this episode at least we moved on to like carving away at wood for the ot but there was see if butch uh checked out his nails <laughs> this two episode arc, he would have really loved this i mean it's positive message certainly inspires us all to believe in ourselves mm-hmm. so. yeah certainly <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, it was it was interesting to see this the strategy that they employed and Danny's weird uh, ideal you know lifestyle of him trying to race a machine in chopping wood, uh, but he ends up not winning surprisingly. So as Phil pointed out, hmm, yeah, 
ultimately, uh, I thought it was interesting that we had a one OT also in the finale. Yeah, that seemed almost like, I, I think I would have preferred, to Mike's point, I would have preferred two 90-minute episodes mm. as opposed to a one-hour episode and a two-hour episode because I think we could just get all the wood out of the way mm-hmm. <laughs> and then move yeah. into what felt like a final competition stage because this was almost like, it's almost like the first half of the Survivor finale when we vote out like three people in rapid succession and you mm. don't really get the story of how it happens. Yeah. It, it did feel like we were sort of tacking this on and it was a little rushed. Mm-hmm. And especially when you have someone like Callie, who I feel like of all the people that were left in the competition or all the people on the show, period, Callie was the one we kind of knew the least. Mm-hmm. We never really got a chance to to get to know her and what her life was like on the same level that we really got to know just about everybody else on the show. And part of that was because she was still in the competition and we didn't give her a spotlight before she gets eliminated. And also, she's another one of those people that's really low-key and kind of an introvert, the same way, like, you know, Miles makes it all the way to the end, and we still don't know him too well because he's also kind of playing his cards very close to his chest. And I really love that that they were able to cast people that had that temperament, but it also made it harder to get to know them. And then at the end, it's like, oh, yeah, Callie is also still here. Remember Callie? Oh, yeah, she did some things, and she's had some experiences in her life, and yeah, now she's gone by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think once we shifted to the team portion was over, like, I think that they probably didn't need to do any more OTs. It's like, okay, whoever comes in last is out, whoever comes yeah. in last, like what they did with the fourth place. Uh, it just feels uh, like uh, inconsistent to do an OT after the final five, not do an OT after the final four. That being said, I did actually like the final OT challenge because I feel like it sort of is in line with, uh, you know, connecting the the wire that Michelle and Lewis did or laying the stones that Michelle and Miles did. Uh, I don't want to necessarily say only go for things that focus on like detail-orientedness and mental power above physical power, but it was also nice to give them a bit of a break. You know, they did just haul a bunch and chop a bunch of wood for a long portion of time. And granted, I think their forearms were still killing them and poor Callie bruised her thumb probably several times over. Uh, but I did like that at least and they made things a bit smaller of just like being very meticulous with, you know, carving holes in the middle of these cookies uh, that required a little bit of power, but enough finesse uh, to basically give your arms a bit of a break. Yeah, but at the same time, I really loved how both of these challenges, they had some physical strength to it, but there was also strategy with like, which which logs do you choose first and where do you make the cuts? And you saw people trying different tactics and, you know, how do we load them? And there was a lot of work smarter, not harder in both of these things, I think. Mm-hmm. Like you had to figure out like which size chisel to use on the middle of the cookie. Yeah. Or if your miles, just get them all stuck in there for a portion of time. <laughs> that was fun. It looked like a birthday cake. Yeah. I do wonder, you know, just how like to go through another challenge, just like how much the physical toll took on people that were able to avoid like the overtimes. And then how much did that, you know, being tired from the overtimes end up affecting their performances in the different challenges moving forward, where Danny had much less mileage on him not having to go to no overtimes over the course of the season where uh, you saw different people have to spend more time in overtimes, uh, you know, a miles ends up winning a couple of the overtimes and then ends up being, you know, pretty gassed by the time we get to the finale. 
Yeah, it's it's sort of like uh, I don't know. It's I guess it's it's by proxy of like uh, if you lose a bunch of times in Survivor, some might say it hardens you for the experience, but some might say it beats you down to a certain extent. And I can imagine that maybe Danny. I don't know. It's interesting because you would say that yeah, Danny and Linda certainly felt emboldened that they never had to face OT, but at the same time, it seemed like Murph and Miles wore it with pun unintended a badge of honor of like hey we had to go through this and we were able to claw our way back up but i just think that the physical wear and tear like i think the injuries really mount up over the course of the season where danny had been you know somewhat injury free based on what we got to see on the show and you had people like murph uh who was really like the walking <laughs> wounded that last challenge and we saw miles uh hurt himself on a number of occasions so uh i do think that you know health is a factor by the end of one of these seasons yeah, it it's true. It's I think it's more of a factor than we might than we might gather if we're just watching the show passively. Yeah, very amazing um, racy, right? We're like, you, yeah. you talk with them the actor interview, you're like, well, the reason why I struggled on this was because my knees hurt and I yep. had a hangnail. Like there I think there was probably if and if and hopefully when we talk to some of these players, I can imagine that there were a lot of injuries amassed, especially to your point, Rob, if they have one extra task to complete, that just leaves more opportunities to injure yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fair point. And I think, well, you see that a lot. I think there are many reality shows out there that the competition structure is such that you have a challenge where the people that do the worst in the challenge have to go into another challenge. And the more time somebody goes into that other challenge, like the more it like cumulatively affects them. And I would love to hear, I'd love to hear actually Young's point of view on this because I feel like reference. He has, yes. Yes, he has the most exposure to being in the bottom young finally found something he was good at in his public speaking yeah well i mean in fairness phil was previewing this like every so often when we were talking to phil he would start talking about something that wasn't really on the show and then the following week it would show up Mm. and it'd be like oh you're spoiling us oh i see how it is and that was one of the things where he said young was really good at finding that one individual thing about everybody and coalescing it and making everybody feel inspired i'm like well we saw that a little bit i guess i'll take the word for it because you know him in real life and then you get this moment three minutes into the episode that just like sucks you in and sets the tone for the whole rest of the episode yeah it was like you can't script that that's amazing and I, and I do i do feel bad though because we got this before when lynette sort of did her thing of like let's go around and say one good thing about a person of savage crew and i feel like lewis for the second time got hosed because uh you know young goes around like this isn't pressure for you uh murph imagine being homeless uh, which is for Lynette. Imagine having the deck stacked against you because of your gender, which is for Tara. Imagine having a husband with cancer for Michelle. Uh, you know, imagine going to war. Imagine immigrating to America. Imagine living in a big city with your family. Like, <laughs> no offense to Lewis, but if we're doing two truths and a lie, like that's gotta, that's the one that sticks out, right? I didn't know I was tough. I'm tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah you're super tough now. But you know what else it reminded me of? Um, each one of us is a jock, a basket case, a criminal, a brain, and a princess. Sincerely, mm-hmm. the Savage Club. Yes. <laughs> um, I did think it was funny, uh, speaking of uh, the damn van, that, you know, on the uh, Dirty Hands, you have a couple people that are in the running for this thing. Only Murph was uh, in contention for the f- f- to win the final prize. Like, all right, everybody, get in the van so I can drive me to the to the finals. Come on, Pat. get in the car. You're coming with me. 
maybe that's why they didn't have the whole team in the van on the way to the finals, mm-hmm. which finalists go in one van and they can talk about it and not make everybody else feel bad. Mm-hmm. It's like driving yourself to your own party, I guess, right? Like you want to you want to feel like you can be chauffeured at a certain extent. And that's also I did also get the sense as well from Dirty Hands that like the other you know, two people didn't want to necessarily uh, throw their support behind somebody. So you could tell things were a bit more awkward because now the team structure is, is there, but like they're not exactly rallying behind someone. And so it is sort of a question of like, okay, Lee and Melissa, who are you supporting now between these four people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you also, that's maybe also the reason they had their families there. So you could feel like somebody's going to be yelling for you specifically and they don't have to feel like they have to choose. Mm-hmm. Anything else from the season overall? Um, the season overall, I, I am surprised that it worked as well as it did. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, some of that is down to the structural changes that kind of departed from what we're used to on competitive reality shows. And a lot of it was just this cast of people. And, you know, we've watched, I think between the three of us, we have probably watched somewhere north of a thousand seasons of reality TV. And I'm not even being hyperbolic. Um, take, take that, Eric Stein. Yeah, yeah. put that. Put that is there crossover? Like, is it like does uh you know uh, Survivor Philippines count three times? Um, how many times have you watched it? You know, well, um, I've yeah, but, I've watched it twice. Yeah, so, kind of, so it's four times between the three. I mean, Mike's probably watched it six times. No, yeah, I guess I guess yeah, yeah between us, I guess it depends. Yeah, as well, is it unique shows hours? I or think, is it I don't think hours? it's. I don't think it's. I think it's cumulative hours. We've we've watched over a thousand between the three of us. And so I think in the last 20 years, there's been so much reality television and they've all started to kind of follow this same formula of what works and, you know, what works game wise and what works people wise. And this was the most real reality TV we've had in a really long time. These are people that would not like, they aren't seeking to become influencers after the fact they're, Hmm. they're just on the show being themselves. And it's so hard to do anymore. I will tell you, Jess, I did check it out. Mm -hmm. Are any of the toughest nails contestants on cameo? Oh, question. Oh, that's a good question. Let's find out. Uh, I feel like I want you to guess due to the name. I I feel like I have it ready to go. I would assume you wouldn't have brought it up if, if there weren't at least one of them due to the platform name, Callie would make the most sense, right? <laughs> to call it Callio. I don't think you get to rename it. <laughs> it's easy for her to brand. All right. I'm going to say, see, I would say that of the personalities, Danny would make the most sense, but I feel like he doesn't have the time to the point where he literally went back to work the Monday after shooting this very much in the style of you, Rob. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's no. very on brand. Yeah. Yes. I'm, I, you know what I'm going to say? I think I'm going to say if I have to pick one person, it is Lewis, baby. Lewis. It is Lewis. It's a good guess. It's not Lewis. I'm going to say based, I'm going to make my guess based on who spends the most time on social media. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a segment this season about what the toughest nails contestants are saying on social media. Uh, but most of them are active on Instagram. And I'm going to go with the person that is you know, has come into his own as a public speaker would be very good on cameo and who is on, um, who is on all the social platforms. I'm going to go with young young. No, it is not young. It oh, is wow. Oh. Get a cameo from Linnet. Interesting. Deal. 10 bucks. All right. I'm going to have Linnet, uh, 
people who have young children, if you need your kids to get in the no, van, Linnet, not young Mike Linnet. Oh yeah, well get get Linnet to record a cameo telling people to get in the van if you need if you have the trouble getting your van. kids in their transport. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, honestly, I've been buying. <laughs> I've been buying cameos from my podcast co-hosts lately, so I I have some I have some points racked up with cameo. I'm just saying we might be hearing from her. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. And I, um, but the, to that point though, Jess, what I found super interesting about, again, the animal house esque epilogue is to see what some of these people did with their money, you know, to watch Lynette funnel it all into a business for herself so she can support her family and a cameo account. Well, first of all, it's rare that a, a, a show gives people the money before the end of the show. Yeah, That's I don't know. I, especially given the budget, I'm surprised that they were able to do that. They might have just paid everybody out at the end of the yeah, maybe they really did get to keep that cash. It wasn't prop money. Because I know that like the California game show laws are such that you they don't even have to pay you until the show airs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but to see, you know, Tara donate a large portion to help support apprentices in her union, uh young, you know, working to uh, you know, really spotlight um, Asian American tradespeople. Again, that shows that these people are not jockeying for any sort of uh, major social clout. It's just more so like we want stuff to lie in our pockets to help our lives be a little easier, but we still love what we do. And if we don't, we're going to change that, which is what Linda did, which was a, a cool moment to see as well. So I feel like that, that was a great representation of the fact that these people just happened to have a camera in front of their face. They weren't necessarily looking to like mug or look for other opportunities. They wanted to pursue this really unique experience and a show happened to depict them through that experience. Yeah, I think it's always I I feel like they would have done the same thing if the cameras hadn't been running. I think it would have played out the same way and they would have done the same thing with their money and we just wouldn't have gotten to watch it. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Anything else tough as nails today? I mean, I'll totally co-sign what Jess said in that I'll admit my expectations were a bit low coming into this. Yeah. I love Phil Kogan as a person, but I looked at the show and I, I rolled my eyes a bit at the concept. I think it's because, though, we've we've seen so much in, re- in our thousands of hours of reality television. We have sort of seen the saccharine edit of the the tough type, you know, of like, oh, the blue collar worker with a heart of gold that I think we were all a little trepidatious that we would get that, but it was such a surprisingly joyful down to earth show that you can tell when a show is in like really good hands of someone who has a lot of passion behind the vision that it ends up producing a really great result. So this to me was like the surprise show of 2020 in my opinion. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing when it comes back, what changes have been made and what stays the same. Well, I think that one of the themes of the show is craftsmanship, being proud of the work that you do, hard work. And I think that the types of people that they were looking to highlight, I think, also represented the types of people that, um, you know, we got to get this great insight from Phil all season long about the ideals that are important to him. And so it's uh, it shouldn't be a surprise that that kind of craftsmanship ended up going into a show that was highlighting exactly that trait in the people that they were looking to put a spotlight on yeah i think that's that's a good summation i loved how positive everybody was about the work they were doing too Mm -hmm. like they all 
they all really love their jobs. And I think you could watch this and say, I see the appeal now of working as a roofer and it's hard work, but it's fun. And it didn't like, it wasn't like that eat your vegetables, Protestant work ethic thing of like the only worthwhile path is to do hard work. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, we're doing the hard work and we enjoy it. And it's, it's not a punishment it's it's great. It's positive. And I liked the showcasing of unions, which could certainly use some good press. And I liked it was a it was a strange experience for me to be watching this because in a normal year, I would be in New York City working at my desk job, hanging out with my coastal elite friends in my ivory tower and not really being around anybody that actually does these jobs. And now I have spent my whole summer in small town America interacting with a lot of people from very different walks of life and remembering like, you know, half the stuff we saw on the show is stuff I've done because of how I grew up and having to be kind of back in touch with all of that. And also having more interactions with people that could be on this show Mm -hmm. was a really interesting experience for me personally. All right. A great note to end things on. Jess, I know you had written up a piece uh, that I saw you and Phil chatting about on Twitter for primetimer.com about your love of tough as nails. Yeah, it was just kind of, it was distilling a lot of the things that we talked to Phil about and figuring out like, what were the ingredients that made this show so special at this particular time? And I had a lot to say about it. And I think I was happy with how the piece turned out. I could have written it twice as long. I had so many things I wanted, so many points I wanted to make about how great this show has been. And I saw that Mike also had a piece this week um, that he's been writing about tough as nails. Yes. Yeah. I got a little cookie with uh, for parade.com. I got to speak with Phil before the, uh, the finale to talk a bit about, you know, what we've had chats about this entire week, but in written form about, you know, how he's reacted to finally putting this thing out in the world after gestating on this idea for years, the reaction to the fan reaction and how this show in particular really served as like a very interesting kind of salve for a lot of divisiveness that has existed in, in 2020. So it's a, it's a really great conversation. I feel like it's a nice little companion, both my piece and Jess's piece, I think are nice little side dishes to these podcasts that we've been able to do all season. Now you're making me feel bad that I didn't write up something about the show. (laughs) Do you write anymore? (laughs) Mm, That's I've been accused of that for many years. Not really. The occasional too busy talking to write. Yes. (laughs) Love to talk writing. Eh, you know, I'll leave that to see. Yeah, but you know, in fairness, you wrote plenty of emails getting Phil to come and join us, mm-hmm. and he he wouldn't have done it without you. Yeah, and so we've all had our fair base writing this past week. Yes, I guess we have. There you go. All right. So, um, Jess, what what's going on uh, in your other? We talked about your writing. What about your podcasting? Uh, well, the other thing I have going on right now before like the onslaught of fall TV content hits is uh, Josh Figler and Brooklyn Zed and I have been rewatching the 2001 reality series, The Mole. And Josh is going in cold. He's never seen it. And he has his own takes on what's happening week to week. And we are about to record our finale episode beginning of next week. Um, in which Josh will find out if he was right or not about who he thinks the mole is. And it has Josh really has strong suspicion about who the mole is. He's had a guess. He has had a guess in episode two. He 
picked his horse and he has been on that horse yes. the entire season. Mm-hmm. So it will be fun to see if he is right. Um, and I think it, again, it's one of those things where he, he's seen so much of this kind of television that he thinks he knows what he's looking for mm-hmm. and okay. we'll see if he's right. Okay. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. We talk about everything else besides the mole. We go off on many interesting and worthwhile tangents. So, yes, many little burrows or warrens, as it were. And we have we've just had a blast with it. And it'll be kind of bittersweet to be putting it to bed over the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay, next. Well, no, next is this is like the ring where now you have to find somebody else who hasn't watched the mole and then have Josh <laughs> on the podcast and then watch it again. Oh man! Well, we could just be watching the mole in perpetuity then. Yes, that's, that's, we do have that's yeah, the nothing sounds good. That nothing sounds better than an email chain in podcast form. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, if we get this going on long enough, Mike, it's going to go in the Guinness Book of World Records. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, we have season two of the mole in the hopper, but we're going to hold off until uh, the end of the year for that, uh, I believe. But we really do want to do it because season two of The Mole, you know, out of the thousands of hours of reality television that we've all seen, I would say season two of The Mole is top five. Hmm. It's very, very fun. Yeah. Okay. All right. Mike, what about you? Lots of stuff in the uh, aforementioned hopper. So, of course, I'm on the Big Brother beat uh, for the aforementioned parade.com. I'm doing exit press every week, as well as doing the Big Brother B&B with Liana Boris. Spoiler alert for this week's upcoming podcast. We're going to get into the filmography of Cody Calafiore. Oh, you're beating me to the punch on that. I know, uh, but it's it's going to be it's going to be fun. So we, we have a lot of stuff to talk about with everything inside and outside of Big Brother. Of course, we have Beyond Top Chef going on as well where myself and josh wiggler and a motley crew of people talk all things food each and every week over on post show recaps uh, of course josh and i are going down the hatch josh is back from a bit of a break and we have finally moved forward with season three flash so we are we, yeah, yeah well not yet well we talked about that last week but there's also going to be a flash forward coming up probably by the end of the year at this point but we're moving forward with that and uh, speaking of post show like recaps to forward to the end of the year <laughs> yeah well we'll see i don't know depending on how the year ends uh but speaking of post-show recaps i should probably bring something up because i know we've we've gotten a few questions about our star trek coverage as star trek lower decks has been chugging along for the past few weeks so just to sort of put it out there and we'll probably post it online as well so uh there's gonna be one week between the end of star trek lower decks and the beginning of star trek discovery season three so jess and myself are planning to do like one little omnibus Lower Decks wrap-up podcast slash Discovery Season 3 preview that weekend of like uh, August 10th or so before hopping onto our weekly August disco 10th. coverage. Or, uh, sorry, uh, October Are you flashing 10th. back? Yeah. I'm now I'm, back, Mike? I'm too sucked into Lost that flashbacks are just part of me now. But yeah, Time so, is a flat circle, much like a cookie. Yeah, so exact. So only a, a month and change from now is uh, when Jess and I will be back talking Star Trek, which should be a lot of fun. But also around that time, if people will uh, miss the com- the chemistry of this trio, they don't have to wait long because they have to wait a little bit over a month for Amazing Race to come back. Amazing Race is right around the corner. Yeah. The same week as Amazing Race, Walking Dead comes back. Josh Wigler and I will be doing zombie things. Like I said, there's an onslaught of fall content. Wait, how are they, how are they more Walking Dead? Didn't they not even get to the finale from last season? 
they are going to air the finale from last season. Yes. And then we have two Walking Dead series that are going to be dropping. There's uh, Fear the Walking Dead season six, and there's also uh, Walking Dead World Beyond. So which is Walking Dead Prime coming back or, or not? Or this, they're, just, they're just airing the one episode that couldn't be finished in time. Yeah, they're, they're airing the finished version of the episode that couldn't be finished. And okay. I think they're giving us extra content to make up for the fact that they left us hanging. Mm-hmm. And then we have lots of other zombie shows. So we thought we might be just doing like a combined zombie hour every week where we oh, talk yeah. about Okay. All the zombie stuff. All right. Sounds good. Of course, uh, we've got a lot going on. Rob has a website.com, of course, with all the Big Brother. Uh, we're also having a Talking with T-Bird uh, coming up. Ian Rosenberger is going to join <gasps> us uh, for the uh, next one. Uh, it's a good interview. We recorded it yesterday. Uh, we'll have that up on Friday and everything going on. Over at Rob has a website. Dot com. Of course, I have a brand new uh, venture that I'm kicking off tonight, which is going to be a live Big Brother pregame show for eviction nights with the patrons of Rob has a podcast kicking off at 7 p.m. Eastern time for the patrons of RHAP. You can find out more information at robiswebsite.com slash patron. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.